This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Grief can cause all sorts of reactions from people. Several years ago, a dear friend of mine passed away unexpectedly, and I first heard about it through posts on her Facebook page. The idea of her dying was so impossible to me that I instead decided that those posts must be the result of some strange prank. It wasn't until the next morning, when I received a text confirming the truth, that I was forced to reckon with this reality. In this week's story, teller Jeff Bakkinson shares his own experience in the wake of losing a friend, and how the beauty of the friendship itself mingles with the grief of their loss. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in March 2023, Second Story is proud to present Labor Day. A piece of pita fell at my feet. I kicked it away. A pigeon dropped down, picked it up, and flew off. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw another piece a good quarter pocket, land to the side of our table. We were having lunch at an outdoor patio. Labor Day weekend, my wife Jen, our one-year-old Will and I, and bread was falling from the sky. I looked over at Jen, but she didn't seem to have noticed. I checked Will, who throws as much food as he eats. And then I looked up to see a group of kids from a party at another table. They were feeding the pigeons, but they weren't just scattering crumbs. They were throwing handfuls with what felt like intent all the way across the patio and in our direction. Was there no one? I looked around, shouldn't there be a waiter or a manager or someone to get them to stop? As I watched, one of the kids cocked his arm back and I swear we made eye contact as he lofted a pita that sailed high into the summer sky and landed at my feet. I didn't stop to think. I jumped out of my seat and grabbed the pita off the ground. I looked the kid dead in the eyes, and without saying a word, I wound up and I slammed the pita back into the patio between us. I sat back down and I started to cry. We had gone to the restaurant. We'd planned a full weekend of activities for Labor Day weekend 2021 to mark an anniversary. It had been a year since the last time we saw our friend Liz. Jen and I moved from Boston to Chicago that June, and in July we had a baby boy, Will. A move, a baby, and a global pandemic. But Liz wasn't deterred. She got a rapid test in Boston and a rapid test on landing in Chicago and burst through our door intent on being the auntie Will never knew he needed. She danced around our kitchen. She sat with him on her lap at a rooftop bar. And Jen and I shared a long sigh of relief as we dropped her off at the airport, happy for a moment to return to our comparatively restful life as new parents. A month later, Liz was dead. Not of COVID, but in an accident that still feels difficult to believe. 
like for many, the fall and winter of 2020 became for us a season of shock, of grief, and of anger. It also became a season of constant and often unwelcome remembering. We were somehow both always thinking about Liz and always surprised to be reminded she was gone. The way it can feel putting weight on an ankle the day after you sprain it. We were surprised when her phone number was repurposed and she withdrew from all our group texts. We were surprised when Will, suddenly crawling and then walking, went hunting through a dresser and came away with a tin of lip balm she'd left behind. When a scene in a slapstick comedy featured a death glancingly similar to hers and played it for laughs, Jen and I watched each other, each waiting for the other to verbalize what we were both thinking, that from now on, there was no escaping losing her. The next year had played out like a song we were already sick of hearing. We, we ran through a year of firsts without her and slowly approached the anniversary of the last day we'd spent together. We wanted not to celebrate, but to do something. And so crisscrossing downtown, we found a restaurant along the water with a patio where we could enjoy the last of the summer sun. This is the second time that Jen and I have lived in Chicago. We met here just after college. And this is where I met Liz too, tagging along with Jen to a Ridleyville dive bar. Liz was spark personified, red hair, usually red-faced, loud. She had friends everywhere in Boston, Chicago, New York, Buffalo, where she was from. Being her friend was like being on the inside of a never-ending inside joke. It was being reminded of a shard of conversation you'd forgotten you told her months before, and which now, out of thin air, she'd conjured as a way to introduce you to a friend of hers, who you were told was now going to be your friend too. Liz, had she been there on the patio, would have burst out laughing. That would have been my new introduction. How one time I lost my shit over a piece of bread. <laughs> Her laugh was obtrusive. In Boston, a neighbor once complained about the drunken party on our stoop. It had been Liz stopping by with takeout <laughs> to tell us about a hinge date who said she had the body of a power lifter. She wanted to know, was it a compliment? <laughs> but there was no Liz to burst out laughing. Someone's dad ran over to apologize and shepherd the kids back to their table by the water. I sat back down and I started to cry. I cried as the waitress brought our check and cried as Jen signed the receipt and boxed up our leftovers. That year, we cried a lot in public, at coffee shops, while walking the dog. People would stare, or it felt like people were staring. And sometimes I felt like standing up to let everyone know there was nothing wrong with us. I wanted to lay traffic cones around us so that everyone would know we were, we were aware of how things might look. We're not broken, I wanted to say, but under repair. Jen and I talked about it all the time. We've been talking about it that afternoon, wondering when we'd stop thinking every day about how unfair it was. A year felt like a good place. At some point, surely sometime soon, a tin of lip balm would be just that.
just before we moved to Chicago, Jen, Liz and I took a kind of uh, send off trip to a lake house. Driving home, we took a wrong turn and ended up on a dirt road running through private property. A homeowner drove up and blocked our car with hers. She wanted to know who we were. Where do you live? She demanded. Boston, said Liz blithely. What about you? And then maneuvered past her. Where had that feeling gone? Will needed to be changed. Summoning my most okay face, I scooped him up and went inside the restaurant. On my way back from the bathroom, I walked, forcing a smile past our table and over to the party by the water. I stopped at the head of their table and waited with Will on one shoulder and a diaper bag looped over the other. One by one, the kids and their parents noticed me and the conversation died down. I found the dad I'd spoken with earlier and addressed him in my best parent-to-parent -parent tone. Sorry to bother you, I said. I want to apologize for making such a big deal about. He didn't seem to know what to say. So I kept talking. It's just that my wife and I have been having a difficult time. But it wasn't coming out like I'd hoped. I felt another round of tears building. My upper body began to shake. So I kept talking. How do you introduce someone woven so deeply into your own idea of yourself? I knew Liz for 10 years. She'd known Jen for 30. A close friend of ours, I said, has recently died. The edges of my vision went blurry. The other dad stood and he stretched out his arms, not quite in an embrace, but in more of a defensive posture, <laughs> as if to shade me away from the table. I'm sorry, he said. I thanked him, and then as I started to turn away, I said, really wasn't recently though. I was surprised to hear myself say, it's been almost a year because it did feel more recent. It felt like no time had passed and nothing meaningful had happened since she died. A new president had been elected, the world had reopened and we were expecting again, but it felt like nothing had really happened. I was shaking so badly the diaper bag slipped off my shoulder. I held on to Will like a lamppost in a storm. The other dad said something I strained to hear over my own internal sounds. Hey, he shouted. We understand each other, okay? Again, softer. We understand each other. I went back to our table. Jen asked me what happened, but I think she'd been able to get a pretty good sense of it firsthand. We got Will into his stroller and packed up our things. I refreshed myself with a wet wipe from the diaper bag. On our way out of the restaurant, we had to pass by the table along the water. I couldn't make myself look over. We understand each other, he'd said. I wanted to keep that with me as long as I could.
This story was produced by Emma Kester and Ali Drum, curated by Jim Lupo, and directed by Devin Christer. Music and sound design was by Jeff Schaller, with live recording engineered by Yongu. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is, is the Second, Second Story Podcast.